the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We've got a lot to cover today, and we'll get to some great uh, guests. I'm very uh, pleased to uh, to welcome today an interview with an author, a uh, San Diego-based uh, author, a retired Navy man, and uh, someone who was actually, he was uh, interviewed on Noah's show, Noah Dingley, our great uh, producer who does his own program. His name is William Craig Reed. We'll talk with him about his new books. He's got a couple new books out. And also, we'll visit with Dr. Ted Malik. We haven't talked with him a lot, and in a while and we'll catch up with him and at the end of the program i'll finish as we head into the weekend with my a renewal of my call for president donald trump former president donald trump to announce that he will accept the speakership of the united states house of representatives if the republicans win the house in uh in 2022 and i'll renew that call and explain it to you but first what do you need to know well I, I, I'm, I'm loath to get cranky, uh, as we head into the weekend at the end of a week, but I think I have to. And I, I don't want to say I'm sorry. I just want to say I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just saying, I'm just, just dealing with what I'm seeing. I'm not sorry. I'm seeing. And what I'm seeing in the, uh, in the, um, in the, uh, New York Times, I almost said the Washington Post, they're similar enough, but in the New York Times, uh, early on Friday when it posted, I was sent an article, and the co-authors are a gentleman named Ben Ginsburg and a guy named Bob Bauer. Now, Ben, uh, Bob Bauer first, is a, it was Obama's uh, White House counsel. I mean, he was the lawyer in the White House and playing that central role. You know, in your, in your, uh, if you're the president of the United States, you have a key, a few key positions. And one of the key, one of the most central positions is the White House counsel. Because as president, you get a whole, you, you, you get a whole bunch of stuff that's executive privilege, but you always get your privilege with your lawyer too. So you have a, the, the White House counsel is, is central to a lot of decision making and a lot of what's happening. And so Bob Bauer, the, the, the White House counsel to Obama and his wife is, uh, I think I talked about this last week, is Anita Dunn. She's in the White House now. She was an Obama person, too. These are longtime insider creatures of the swamp Democrats. And the other I mentioned, Ben Ginsburg. Ben Ginsburg's a lawyer, very accomplished, and has for probably 25 years been one of the go-to lawyers for Republicans. Okay, he's been um, worked for the Romney campaign, I think. He's worked for almost every campaign, presidential campaign. He's very experienced. I, I prefer myself uh, people like Cleta Mitchell, who's another very talented lawyer, but who in my mind is actually sort of conservative. Well, the piece that ran in the New York Times today is co-authored by Ben Ginsburg and, and uh, Bob Bauer. And basically, it's an indication that the swamp is worried that we the people are not uh, are not going away and accepting everything they told us about elections. The premise of the piece, this op-ed piece, is that they say, we, Democrat and Republican, we know better than everybody else, and we're seeing that there's too many people that don't believe the election was perfect, and because of that reason, we are going to join together, and we're going to be people that fight for state election officials who are being unfairly attacked. Now, 
On many levels, this is nonsense. But one of them is, why do they get to say that everybody else is unfairly attacked? Who, you know, who set them up as the, uh, as the arbiter of all things, you know, as the ones who can tell us authoritatively, oh, everybody else is wrong. Have they actually looked as if they looked closely at the, uh, have they looked closely at the, um, uh, uh, uh what happened at, uh, you know, the, the uh, election, um, in each of these states where each of these election officials, and here's an example in Antrim County, Michigan, we have an admission from the election officials that they deleted the logs that track the elections. Um, so you understand that they are um, the uh, the the elections are are in a place like Antrim County has irregularities. Is that person who deleted the logs or was supervised deleting the logs? Is that worthy of automatic defense from Bob Bauer and Ben Ginsburg only in the swamp? If you expect that you can be told what to believe, as I've told you before, by the narrative machine, the narrative machine is big tech, big media and big government. This is big government. This is the swamp. The swamp includes big government because Bob Bauer and Ben Ginsburg, they're giving the signal that they're united. And again, over and over, we see that the establishment Republicans, people that get insanely wealthy over the system that's in place, they don't want to allow us to have any other opinion than the sanctioned opinion that they want us to have. Their sanctioned opinion. And by the way, don't kid yourself, Ben Ginsburg and Bob Bauer will raise a lot of money, they'll get paid a lot of money, and they'll be the ones defending the integrity of the election by defending election officials. What if, just what if, some of these election officials didn't quite do it well enough. What if some of these election officials actually had significant problems? Isn't that possible? Isn't it? Isn't that? Isn't that? Uh, uh, isn't that a a um, uh, the, the 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 reality that the that these um, folks are uh, are 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 not even giving us a chance to consider? It's a little bit like again, and they do cite this in there that they say, oh, you know, all these challenges. To the court. No, none of the ch- almost none of the challenges were substantive challenges. Challenges to the substance of what happened in the election. They were just, you know, procedural stuff. And so I'm, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really impressed at this point by the, uh, the, the reality of these people on the New York Times page, right? That, that are, that are, that are aiming at us and saying, Oh no, you gotta be quiet. You gotta be quiet. Now, I will give you one more theory on this. My theory on this is that it is likely that part of the reason this is timed the way it is, is because Everybody's getting a little antsy. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it's not going away. When you see the polling, when you look at the action out there, people are more and more. This week, Pennsylvania state legislators flew down to Arizona to see how they were auditing things. They're talking about doing their own. And so, you know, by now, everybody's supposed to have moved on. And even if you're not happy with it, you're supposed to have, uh, you know, kind of just moved on. People aren't moving on. And, and, the, and the fact that they're not moving on, one of the realities of that is, are they worried? Are these guys worried? Are they worried that something's going to come up? Because again, you're seeing leaders care. You're seeing the grassroots not change. You're seeing polling that shows that people are more and more concerned. And you're seeing things like Congre- uh, Congressman Jody Heiss in Georgia challenging the sitting Secretary of State in a primary because they're not going to take it. So I, I, I just have to wonder when I see this kind of move from uh, Bob Bauer and Ben Ginsburg, 
what is really on their mind? Who's really, did these guys come up with this little plan just now? Where they put, uh, where was it part of what people said, oh man, we better get this, so we got to move this on. This is starting to really hurt us. This could be really a problem. I don't know. I'm not sure we'll ever know. But it's the height of swamp, swampiness, swamp arrogance that they do it this way and that they shove it down our throats that we're supposed to be told. Well, again, as I tell you all the time, Big tech, big media, big government, they tell us, they let us, they'll, they'll be the only ones that let us what, we, what we're allowed to see and therefore what we're allowed to know and what, certainly what we're allowed to do. They'll limit that. You're not allowed to be upset at election officials because Ben Ginsburg and Bob Bauer said so. That's what we've just been told. Think about that. All right, everybody, we got to take a break. When we come back, we will visit with uh, this new author for New For Me, and also uh, we will also visit with Ted Malik. And uh, so come on back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I have been looking forward to our next guest for a few weeks because our fearless uh, producer, uh, Noah Dingley brought him to my attention and he's never let me down. I don't know if he's never let me down. I'm probably going too far, but if our listeners have gotten used to Noah talking and he does his own radio program. And uh, so he recommended our next guest. William Craig Reed is a writer. And uh, I mean, he's a writer. He's got lots of books. He's got some nonfiction books. He's got thriller novels and uh, he is um, prolific as the word we say on Twitter, by the way, at a W excuse me, W Craig Reed at W Craig Reed on Twitter and his website site is wcraigreed.com. Welcome, sir. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Well, I mean, the first question I want to ask you, because I've done this, I worked for Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly. She was a writer. She wrote prolifically, mostly columns and essays. But how'd you become a writer? I mean, is it something you always thought you were? Is it something you thought you had to do? Tell tell us about being a writer, because you've written a lot of books. It's not a, you're not a one-off, not a one-hit wonder here. Well, thank you. My father was a writer. He actually wrote mostly nonfiction. He wrote, uh, you've heard of the uh, director-producer John Huston, Natalie the uh-huh. Iguana, uh, Moby Dick, and so yeah. on. He wrote his autobiography. He also wrote a number of other books, huh. uh, quite a few award-winning books. And so I got the bug from him, and uh, we actually wrote a book together called um, Crazy Ivan many years ago. It was about submarine adventures. And uh, he since passed away, but he passed on uh, his love of writing and uh, basically spurred me down the path I'm on. Hmm. So I have a story that I um, uh, that I remember so well, um, and this is a little convoluted, but I'll go fast. There's a great book that I like by Eric Hoffer, the the, the longshoreman, uh, called True Believers. It's a really kind of a philosophy text, and it has a parallel with the uh, the um, the famous um, Hunt for Red October, Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy wrote the Hunt for Red October. He was uh, published by like the Naval Institute Press. There were like eight copies, and then Ronald Reagan walked out to Marine One, and someone said, what are you reading there? And he said, I'm reading this Hunt for Red October, and then all of a sudden, Tom Clancy took off. Eric Hoffer had the same thing happen, where uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower was in the White House and was leaving with his book, and the same thing occurred, and suddenly he was world famous. And uh, and my my question here, when I thought of this, is Clancy's written, Clancy's books were sort of um, along the same trend line of yours. You know, one of the ones I'm looking uh, at is Spies of the Deep, and then some of your others uh, that you wrote, the thrillers. Did you, was Clancy an inspiration 
inspiration? Did Clancy, was Clancy somebody that shaped you? Your, your timing was about right to have sort of immersed yourself in him. Yes, absolutely. Uh, no question. Um, Tom Clancy, I think, influenced quite a lot of us, but especially those of us who uh, were in the Navy, former Navy submariner diver myself. Right. And so that story yep. was eye-opening because there were a lot of things in it that we didn't think uh, should be public knowledge at the time, but he found a way to um, to get yeah. some behind-the-scenes yeah. information. So, yeah, very influential. I should say, I'm, I'm, thank you. I was going to mention your your uh, work. We're talking with William Craig Reed. Um, he supports an effort called uh, U.S. for Warriors Veterans Foundation. His books, actually, when he sells uh, some of the proceeds, go to those foundations because he himself is a uh, a Navy veteran uh, diver and uh, and worked even with the SEAL team folks. Um, so, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite book? I would say that um, my favorite book is. Um, Actually, Tom Clancy, uh, and it is Hunt for Red October, although I have to say some of his later books are pretty close seconds to that. Uh, uh-huh. Really impactful. And then I also really love uh, Nelson Emile. I think some of his books are fantastic. I do, too. I like, but that's, uh, that's, now, what's your favorite of your books? Is there one book that you say, no matter what, that's the one you, when you see it or think about it, that really is it? Is your first one? Or what, what would you say of, of the ones you wrote? What's your favorite? I would say that uh, it's the latest one, which is my novel, Status Six, uh, because uh-huh. I fashioned that act actually after a, uh, a couple of real-world characters who were former SEAL Team 2 operators, and, be, and one of them became an NCIS operator. And I thought that was fascinating. And I didn't huh. know what SEAL Team 2 did, the only Arctic-trained team. They're as badass as, as the SEAL Team 6 <laughs> guys. Uh, really, really fascinating. Um, there is a book that you wrote called Red November. So we just talked about the hunt for Red October and the Red Inside the Secret U.S.-Soviet Submarine War. And so before you tell us about that book, because I was interested, is are we still in a, is there still a submarine battle? I mean, are we still, are submarines still sitting out there, you know, off the coast of wherever for us watching somebody and, and for them watching us? And can I ask you my favorite theory on the UFOs, the, the recent spate of sightings people say? I think that people are launching drones off of submarines is there any chance that my it's totally made up i mean i just totally thought why wouldn't they but are there submarines all over the world right now looking at us and and paying attention even if even if it's just information gathering not sort of war footing oh no question i think it's important that we understand that 90 percent of what you and i buy at various stores costco etc come to us via sea routes and so it's critical that our sea routes are open and the same is true for our uh, call them adversaries, um, competitors. <laughs> and there's only about yeah. six choke points out there that ships can go through. And they're all patrolled by submarines. Uh, we've got submarines everywhere. We have communication cables, trillions of dollars worth of our financial transactions go through communication cables that connect the various continents. They can be severed or tapped as they were back in the Cold War. Uh, yes, submarines are very actively involved. It's a very critical thing that we stay on top of what they're doing and vice versa. And to answer your question about UFOs, unidentified. So what are they? Uh, we've got some pretty advanced technology. There are some things that I saw at advanced research labs at Penn State blow your mind. Uh, so, right. you know, there's no way to tell it. Anything that we have today could look alien. It could look like it came from an alien world. 
we just won't know because it's classified. So you, you know, you can look at that and say, wow, there's no way we could do that. And in fact, with our advanced technology, we really could. Again, um, we are talking with uh, with the, the author and the new book I want to go to, by the way, I want to uh, shift over to it because it's the one William Craig Reed is the uh, is Spies of the Deep. Tell us the story of Spies of the Deep, because the cool thing about this one is you not only have submarines, which you know a lot about and you've written in other books about, but it's recent enough that Putin's in the middle of this one. And, and Putin really uh, used it as a political tool for his uh, his for his purposes. I guess he probably always does as part of his background. But tell us about Spies of the Deep. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, Putin only had about 2% of the vote back in August of 99 when he was running for president. And a submarine called the Kursk went on a top-secret mission and got up close and personal to an aircraft carrier we heard about in the news during the COVID crisis, and that was the Theodore Roosevelt. And some snapshots came back to fanfare. Putin invited the captain to, to Moscow, then went down, became an honorary submariner, by the way. His father was a submariner, and he platformed on that, said, I'm going to bring the Russian Navy back to greatness. I'm going to start with our Russian submarines, as you saw from the Kursk success, propelled himself hmm. to 53% of the vote in March of 20, um, March of 2000, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then the Kursk went down in August during a naval exercise that he was pointing to as the next big thing for Russia. And he astutely uh, managed to leverage that to gain control of the oil fields, et cetera, and all their their gas, natural huh. gas, and propelled Russia to a much, much higher gross national product. That propelled huh. us toward the Cold War that we're in today, which is far worse than it was uh, a decade plus ago. Is the um, is the is when you say that the Cold War now is the reality of the Cold War just because I mean they have so many nukes and, and obviously we do too I mean they're not really it doesn't feel like they're strengthening as a as an either economy or military are they Yes yeah, so if you think about what you know what is our new Cold War we just you know hate each other and it's really about. <laughs> positioning for what I mentioned, the sea routes, but also the natural resources that are found in various areas, including the Arctic. So the Cold War is really cold in terms of the Arctic. Uh, Putin has locked up the the northern sea route, which has now become more open, and it shaves Mm -hmm. off 40% of the time and cost for shipping all these goods. So again, it's all about the natural resources and getting them from point A to point B. That's really what our Cold War is about and why the naval platforms on all the, uh, the different areas of the world and different countries are critical to make, making sure we can get toilet paper at Costco. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, now, I want to ask you uh, about Status 6. Status 6, an NCIS a special ops thriller. And um, it came out just about a month ago. It's not less than that. First of all, how's it been received? Is it a, do people do people when you're such a, a well-known writer of of nonfiction where people, you know, dig in and they like that stuff. And then you're doing fiction. It's not that common to go back and forth across. How's the reaction to that? Well, if you think about it, that's what Tom Clancy did. He was mostly fiction, yeah, yeah, but he then did. also came yeah, out with a number of nonfiction books. So um, right. what I do is similar to what he did in terms of utilizing the research on both sides of the fence. So I did a lot of research for Spies of the Deep, and a lot of that research 
went into status six. Most importantly, what are we doing with some of the more advanced systems? Are we going to control submarines with AI, for example? And if we do, how can that get out of control? That's a really scary proposition. And then you've got right. this new torpedo that the Russians came out with called Status 6, 10 times bigger than anything mm-hmm. out there, has a major nuclear reactor in the damn thing. And it's got a 100 megaton nuclear warhead that could take out the choke points that I mentioned. So it's dealing with these nonfiction things in a fictional yeah. way. And what if scenario that really could come to pass? Well, and the and the um, uh, the thing I thought about this when I was looking uh, again, we're talking uh, about the book Status Six, which is available everywhere you get books. Uh, if you you uh, uh, are interested in, and there's not, as I mentioned, nonfiction as well as fiction books. Um, and uh, the but what what which interests me, um, uh, William Craig Reed is the author, and I'm trying to find your website. I apologize, that was what I was wk excuse me wcraigreed.com wcraigreed.com. You'll see a lot of what I'm working off of, but. It, that status six, it mentions that there's an AI, artificial intelligence, I guess, is it submarine or is is it the weapon you're talking about? And my, my thought here is how much of the future is going to be somebody a, a 3,000 or 5,000 miles away? You know, we, we already saw it with our wars where we had people in, like, I think Arizona dropping uh, bombs off of drones that were launched from, from uh, you know, uh, from Navy, uh, uh, from uh, naval ships. How much of these things is going to be driven by AI and, and robots and not even be human, at least humanly staffed on, uh, in the water or on the ground? We really are moving toward uh, what we saw in the Terminator to a certain extent. And what's interesting is that um, another author of mine, uh, a buddy of mine, George Galderisi, who wrote some of the Tom Clancy Opsoner series, works at SpecWar, and he gave me some information about the AI developments. And they did some studies and found that they misclassified things. They, they thought that a baby holding a bottle was um, a kid with a bath. So imagine oh. if that would happen with weapon systems. And that's <laughs> the concern is that if we have AI controlling these weapon systems, is that going to cause some serious issues? Uh, I mentioned the advanced research labs out of Penn State, and Chuck Burkle used to be the director out there, former submariner. That was his big concern. They were building a lot of AI stuff, and he was concerned that it might turn into these misclassifications or automation or autonomy, as they call it, or um, friendly versus unfriendly AI. So I discuss all of that in the book and what could Mm. happen if we don't put Mm. the AI technologies uh, into a system that we can control and it gets out of control. Yeah. Yeah, that's the question. That's the question. That is, I, I agree. All right. I got to run, unfortunately. And uh, William Craig Reed is the author of uh, the book that we just have referred to, which is his newest one, is Status Six, an NCIS special ops thriller getting uh, rave reviews. And appreciate it. Also, I think it's really, I, I really like the, and, and the combination, as you mentioned, of, of uh, fiction with all these things that are real, that are around us. So uh, thanks very much for your time. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report, back in a moment.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. It's been far too long. It's been like three weeks, I bet. Dr. Ted Malik joins us again. Uh, Dr. Ted Malik, of course, is a prolific author of books on business and history and all kinds of things, and also a businessman himself and has been a professor all over the world and is currently filling uh, most of um, uh, the good times here in terms of writing over at American Greatness, uh, amgreatness.com, which has really become just a place to go for good writing and also good thinking. Newest piece is up a couple of days uh, um, was it uh, a little while ago? Um, I guess it's a few a while ago, but this is one I flagged because I needed him to explain it to me. And that is the title is whatever happened to sound money. And I think we might've mentioned this, Ted, one of the other times I had you on, but I, I want to ask you what we're seeing in the economy, like dumb it down for me and, and tell us what are we seeing trillions spent, maybe more tr- trillions more spent. And yet we haven't seen, have we really seen inflation? We see some inflation, but is it, is it actually inflation? Or is it fear of inflation? Is it what? What are we seeing in the economy right now? Well, I hardly have to ever dumb anything down for an Ed Martin. I might have to ratchet <laughs> well, it up, but um, it's it's an exp- yeah, it's an expression. It's just an expression. It's very important. <laughs> okay, so it's a medium of exchange. We know that allows people to you know, obtain what they live, what they need to live. Uh, you know, it's, it's um, fungible, divisible unit of account. I mean. We have our greenbacks, other countries have their currencies. Uh, we know the sound of money, the feel of money. We know what Benjamin Franklin said about money. I always ask you, know, whenever I'm studying anything, I ask, what, what did Benjamin Franklin say? Probably he's a very good person, <laughs> the great and quintessential right. American founder. He said, money makes money, and the money that makes money makes money. Sounds simple, but it's profound. So we do know that nations that fail to accumulate wealth and practice the virtue of thrift which would be another way of putting it, uh, pay a price. And uh, the piper, um, you know, extracts the toll. You just have to ask people from places like Venezuela, Argentina, or, or other places in South America. I, you know, I've written a whole book on the topic of thrift and money. So it's a subject that I keep coming back to, and one that I think is particularly important that we get back to in Biden's proposed tax and spend regime which is going to do us no good, which is totally unnecessary, and which is going to cost us and our relatives and our grandchildren for decades and decades and decades to come. It could, in fact, create the kind of inflationary cycle which we're just beginning to see. So I think inflation is coming back with a vengeance. So I go to any party and everybody asks me, of course, how do I invest? I'm not here to tell you that. But you better be ready for your greenbacks and your dollar bills to be worth less and less and less. Is it, uh, but Ted, what, what could happen in terms of what, what would you, um, not necessarily what would you see as a trained economist and observer, but what would, you know, Joe Sixpack see? Would he see that his six-pack goes up in price double? I mean, right now, gas prices are up, I don't know, 30, 40, 50%. Milk, I mean, we have, I have a bunch of kids, so I'm buying milk all the time. Milk is up. But what would in real inflation look like? And is there really any threat that America could turn into Venezuela? I mean, Venezuela, like, what happened? They, they devalued their currency to nothing, right? And all of a sudden, you'd have to have like 10,000 Venezuelan dollars to buy a, 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 a loaf of bread. I mean, what 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 does it actually could it look I like, or what would we see if on, on our vast economy? But inflation is in the process of returning. You see that across the board in commodity prices. You see it on in goods. You see it in gasoline. I mean, out here the gas is five dollars a gallon. Other places it's three fifty. Meat is rising, not just because of the attack on the 
you know, on, on the ransomware uh, object. But uh, you, you see it across the board. So all these things are going up. Uh, you know, 4.2%, I think people would say, well, that, that's pretty steep. It's going to get a lot worse. And here's the point. Because of what has happened in the economy and the way that we uh, basically fixed and doctored these interest rates using the Federal Reserve, there are no tools left in the toolbox when the next round kicks in. We can't cut uh, the uh, prevailing uh, interest rates much lower. I mean, I guess we could go to negative interest rates, which is the case, I remind you, in some countries in Europe, like Germany, the Netherlands, and France, where right now, if you put your money in the bank, next month you get less back. It is. And we're talking with Ted Malik uh, and uh, Dr. Ted Malik, of course, go to tedmalik.com. All right, Ted, what's your response? What's your thoughts on the president right now? President Trump, I'm shifting a little bit while I have you, though. You're, you're a keen observer and longtime uh, friend, or maybe I'm overstating that, but, you know, have a, a relationship with President Trump. Uh, Facebook earlier on Friday said he's going to be off Facebook for a couple more years. His uh, supposed effort at, I don't know, some sort of mini blog, the media has at least covered it like it wasn't a success. But what do you, what, what's your, where do you think the president is? Where do you think his mind is? And what do you think is happening right now? Well, I, I can't say that I've talked to him. I get this question from the press continuously. Uh, clearly, he's stepped back. He's assessing the situation. I do know his lieutenants and the people that work for him, and he consults to and advises with. Uh, and I think the point is that he still sees himself in a position of power. He sees himself as the head of the Republican Party. He sees his policies more and more validated by what President Biden is doing and not achieving. And I think that he sees the upcoming midterm elections, which would be just a year and a half off now, as a place where he can have an enormous effect. I believe we can take back 50 or 60 seats. I think those people will all be Trump advocates. And I think it puts him in a position of some increased power. Now, will he run again? In 2024, I think that's very much an open question. He's going to call that closer to the event. Uh, I personally think that there are other candidates, younger ones who are in his mold, who would be equally valid and would carry on that mantle of American greatness. So it's not like we have only Donald Trump, but we still have Donald Trump. Uh, we're, we're talking with Ted Malik. Ted, uh, but don't you think it's crazy? I mean, think about what Facebook just did. They said, we're going to keep you off until January after the midterm elections. I mean, it's like they know what the important thing is. And so by then, if he hasn't had a chance to influence things, and I'm sure the other social media companies will follow and everybody, then you'll just find yourself, you know, it's so blatant that they're silencing him and trying to diminish his impact. Now, I don't think it works, but it is um, it's impressive to see the big tech and big media trying to continue to uh, beat him up and silence him. This happened before the election, uh, and the conservatives, you know, took a blind eye to it. Many of us said it was happening, and nobody listened to us, to the censorship. And the fact is that Zuckerberg spent something on the order of $300 million to get the Democrats elected. So we shouldn't be surprised by the efforts of these companies, which are A, monopolies, and B, leftists. And we need to rein them in, we need to break them up, and we need to have competitors. Now, people like uh, uh, um, 
Governor DeSantis or uh, Governor Abbott maybe are doing that in their individual states. We'll see how they succeed. But I ask the question, where are the Republicans asleep in Washington, D.C.? In the U.S. Senate where I used to work, or God, where are the people in the House of Representatives, only a handful of them, that are willing to take up the cause? And I would have to say our minority leader is a total, total, total mistake. We need a new leader. I think that's the growing uh, that's the growing sentiment. By the way, I, I did a segment a few weeks ago. It got a lot of attention. I think that President Trump should announce that he will campaign for anyone uh, for office who will agree to vote for him as Speaker of the House. And you know, there's no there is no bar to having. You don't have to be a member of the U.S. House, and so Trump could immediately become the Speaker of the House. I mean, in, in charge of the budget, in charge of the House. I mean, it, it's the perfect uh, it's the perfect role for him. He wouldn't even have to do a national campaign like he would for president. And uh, I think it's a great idea. What do you think? Why not? I mean, it, it is a little bit out there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't take non-speakers, so Trump is not exactly cutting that mold. But it would be an interesting hypothesis. The other possibility I heard is that he runs for one of these safe seats in Florida and actually takes an electoral victory and does the same thing. I personally don't see Trump doing that. I think he's going to have an inordinate influence from where he's sitting presently and he'll continue to do that. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I think I mean, I, ultimately, if people forget he's a shrewd des- a decider. He decides things not just based on whim or feeling. He he works through it. All right, Ted Malik, we got to run. As always, great to hear from you. Glad to have you back on. We got to have you on sooner. Uh, keep writing for American Greatness and keep up all your good work. Thank you. We'll do. Thanks. Ed. Thanks. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed, Mir- Ed Martin. Ooh, I got my own name wrong. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. A gunfight for election integrity is raging in a few state legislatures across the nation, with the political future of our entire nation hanging in the balance. Whoever controls election procedures will control the outcome. Even worse, once a politician can be assured victory, he no longer has to be held accountable to his constituents. He can pass whatever laws he likes without fear of repercussion. According to the AP VoteCast survey of more than 110,000 voters across the nation, 67% of ballots submitted by mail were marked for Joe Biden, while 65% of citizens who voted in person on Election Day voted for Donald Trump. Obviously, the issue of vote counting is important, particularly when it comes to mail-in votes. Earlier this year, the liberal media warned that hundreds of bills to improve election security had been introduced in 47 state legislatures. Yet as sessions are winding down in many states, very few bills of substance have passed. Georgia at least requires a weak form of voter ID for mail-in voting, but many other states haven't even been able to achieve this. Georgia's changes are a far cry from the essential reforms outlined by President Trump in his speech on February 28th. Sadly, some Republican leaders mistakenly think that insignificant changes like those enacted in Georgia and Iowa will be enough to mollify Trump supporters who are outraged by voting shenanigans. The classic line from useless political strategists is that we have to be willing to make small steps in the right direction before making big changes. But I reject these well-worn cliches of the political machine. If not now, when will the time be right to secure our elections? Should we wait until the system is corrupted beyond hope? Should we wait until entrenched politicians have no fear of a fair fight? 
Now is the moment for conservatives to make clear that they will not be satisfied with anything less than totally secure elections. We don't want elections that are slightly more secure than 2020. We don't want a step in the right direction. We want real election integrity. Now is the time to take bold action to secure America's cherished electoral process. From Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin. Election fraud has the power to destroy the America we know and love. Never again can we allow an election to be stolen. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find reasonable, workable strategies for assuring the integrity of every future election. Visit phyllisschlafly.com today. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and uh, we have a lot happening. Uh, I hope you have a great weekend. In my family, we've got a bunch of sports this weekend. The kids are finishing up some of the softball I think my daughter's playing, and uh, some soccer. It uh, feels and school's ending for everybody, so there's a lot going on. I hope everybody has a great weekend uh, and has some great weather and some chance to do some fun things. Um, let me finish by reiterating my call. Uh, for, and you can go to proamericareport.com, by the way, and go over there and check out where I said this earlier. I'm reiterating my call for President Donald Trump to run for Speaker of the House in 2022. Now, you say to yourself, well, is Donald Trump actually going to run for office, like run for the House of Representatives? The answer is no. You don't have to. And I actually went out and bought a book to study the history of the Speaker of the House. And I went back, I back and look, I did some research on this. And here's the reality. It's fantastic. It's really fun. The reality is that there is no need for the person who is Speaker of the House to reside, excuse me, to be a member of the House. It is not required. So, th- so let me say that again. There's nothing in the Constitution that says the Speaker of the House must be picked from among its members. It says the members must pick, but it's clear and it's been, uh, it's not been adjudicated, but it's been discussed on left and right, on the left and the right a-, a-, a number of times. And everybody agrees there's no bar to it. So now you say to yourself, okay, what happens next? Donald Trump just announces to the American people, I'm going to serve as speaker and I will back any candidate who is running for nomination who will vote for me for speaker. And he goes around the country and he wins. Hopefully Republicans win. And then they make him speaker. And now he's speaker of the House. He's got control of the budget. The budget initiates in the House. And he's got control of a lot of other things because of his bully pulpit. But here's the here's the real reason it works. Because as a member of Congress told me, in 2020, the reason so many Republicans won for the, in the House, they didn't think, they thought they were going to lose 10 or 15 seats. They won 15 or so seats. And the reason why everybody won, my friend who's a congressman said, is because of the MAGA differential. That when you get a, a, a set of voters in any place, Republicans, there's a bunch that will always vote Republican. Whatever that, let's say that that percentage is 80%. 80% of your votes, if you're a Republican candidate for Congress, are going to come from Republicans. 20% is the MAGA differential. And if you can keep the MAGA differential fired up and, f- and focused on the race, you can win in tough districts as well as in easy districts. And so what's the problem in 2022? The problem is that MAGA voters don't have Trump on the ballot. In 2016 and 2020, they came out because he was there. In 2018, they didn't come out because he wasn't there. You have to worry 
about the MAGA differential. The MAGA differential, those people need to know, they need to have a reason to believe that their vote for their congressman in that congressional race, that it matters. This is the way to do it. In fact, this is the only way to do it. So that all those MAGA people say, I, I, I don't like my congressman. He's been around for a long time. I don't like that guy running. They, they're all taking money. I don't like these people. When they end up in office, they don't do anything. I don't like any of them. And that's what they usually feel. And again, remember, in politics, you're not trying to get, you know, uh, 50% of the people to stay home. You don't have to. You have to get 3 to 5% of the MAGA differential to stay home. And then you win. Democrats know that everybody in politics knows this. You don't get knockout blows. You get death by a a thousand cuts in politics. And so the MAGA is going to, they're going to feel, oh, they're going to say, oh, you know, they're going to, people are going to complain. Oh, the MAGA differential, I don't want to vote for Congress. I don't care because it'll just make Kevin McCarthy will be speaker and he'll be just like Paul Ryan. I don't want to. I don't like my guy who's running for office or my gal who's running for office. They're not really MAGA. All those things. But if they say, hey, if you're, if the person running in your district wins, they will be voting for Speaker Donald J. Trump. Whammo. The MAGA differential is in the game times a million. That's my idea. Tell me what you think. Send me an email or text. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our great technical director, and especially, uh, for, as always, for keeping us uh, on track. Thank you, Joanna, for booking our great guests, and thank you for listening. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, also to find out uh, and listen to all these different interviews and find out what else has happened. We'll be right. We'll be back next week. I look forward to it. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego.